0: Welcome to the Real Love Podcast Series, right here on the Sharon Salzberg Meta Hour. This series features a variety of conversations with some of the world's finest teachers and thinkers, all exploring Sharon's new book, Real Love, The Art of Mindful Connection. Real Love is a field guide for anyone seeking awakened living in the 21st century. To get your copy of Real Love, visit SharonSalsberg.com. This podcast is brought to you by the Be Here Now Network. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, please visit www.BeHereNowNetwork.com backslash Sharon.
1: We mentioned last night that Sharon has a new book, Real Love. Actually, Sharon, one of the greatest things that, that I have personally heard at these retreats was uh, it was Duncan Trussell said to you, well, what's your daily practice? What do you do? And you you, get your, you said, I sit down. And get real.
2: <laughs>
1: I have never forgotten that? that. Yes, you wow. did. <laughs> I'm really
3: impressed. That's great. Wow. Yeah.
1: And then you wrote Real Love right after that. All right. Sit <laughs> so down gonna, and get real. Yeah.
3: <laughs>
1: so uh, we're going to talk a little bit because I fortunately have been able to, uh, Sharon. Uh, Got me the uh, manuscript that has just gone in to the to the publisher. Um and last night we also mentioned KK Shaw, who had Skyped Ramdas and I and others of us that were at the house and at the house, and he was so delighted with the theme of the retreat, Finding the Beloved, touching the compassionate heart. And I'd like to go on a little bit about he said, Well, you need to find out what is, what are you talking about? What is the beloved? And where is the beloved? And then the subsequently how, how that relationship is, is nurtured. He didn't say it in those exact words. So I know, I, I just want to start with you because I know, I mean, for us, we were fortunate to have that living example of, of Neem Karoli Baba, Maharaji, showing us the beloved and of course a lot ensued after that and Ramdas is going to talk about that but i know that you had a very very intimate relate close relationship with your teacher deepa ma and we would love to hear about that and some some examples of the exchanges that you had to start with that's a little bit of what the beloved is i think
3: okay um Well, uh, I mean, in some level, I think KK's questions are a lifetime exploration. There's no answer. Um, But when I think of the term, the beloved, um, I think about something, a person or a place or a situation or some inspiration that connects us to something so much bigger um, than our immediate circumstance. And so... Uh, maybe it's most graphic or intense in some ways when it's a person. Um, I just did a program in New York City um, with uh, this man named Randy Cohn who used to write the ethicist column in the New York Times, and now he has a new thing, which is like a radio thing, where he asks people uh, to talk about a person, a place, and a thing because he feels people reveal more about themselves when they're actually not talking about themselves. So he asked me, we had one brief phone conversation before the event, and he, he said, who's your person? So I said, this woman named Deepa Um, So I'll actually talk about my person and my thing, which was the Statue of Liberty, um, because they're kind of similar to me in a lot of ways. So uh Ma, as some of you know... Um, was a Bengali woman. Deepa is like a nickname, uh, Deepa's mother. And she had a life of tremendous uh, difficulty and sorrow and loss. And uh, she, for example, um, had three children and two of them died. And uh, she and her husband uh, were living in Burma at one point. He was in the civil service and... Uh, they were very much in love, even though it had been an arranged marriage when she was like 12 years old or something. And uh, he wasn't feeling well one day and he came home and he died by that night. So she was completely grief stricken and developed a heart condition and went to bed. She couldn't get out of bed. And the doctor came and said, you're actually going to die of a broken heart unless you do something about your mind. You should learn how to meditate. So she got out of bed. And She still had Deepa, you know, to raise and she got out of bed, and she went to the meditation center. And when she emerged, it was somehow there had been just this development of this enormous compassion, enormous, like, for everybody, because she knew everybody's life can turn on a dime, you know, and it can look really different in, like, one phone call. And and it was such a sense of love and compassion. I actually felt a little... Um, compassion for the person trying to write some of this one book about her called Deepama because unlike even Maharaji where there's like a one-liner that just changes your life like um you know never throw anyone out of your heart or something like that uh there really wasn't that with her it was all about her presence and so the woman who was trying to write the book kept hearing the same story Basically, I was a mess and I was an in Indian, and I went to see her, and then I felt so much better <laughs> because she was so loving. You know, uh, but it was really completely about her presence. Um, and then my thing, being the Statue of Liberty, was, was uh, interesting because she is uh, the symbol of welcome. Everybody's welcome. The people no one else wants, the people who've been rejected everywhere, they're welcome here, you know, because my heart is big enough to include rather than exclude whoever it might be. So I confessed on the phone to Randy before the event that I actually have a collection of like little green, you know, erasers and, you know, ashtrays, things that look like the Statue of Liberty. Uh, and he asked me to bring one, which I sort of did, Actually, I brought a nice one. Um, but there's, you know, it, it's that, just that sense of like, because it's not only them, it's not admiring a symbol like the Statue of Liberty or a person like Deepama, it's the reminder that, oh, maybe I can do that too. I can be that too. That's what's so uplifting.
1: Can we translate that, Ramdas, to our, your experience with Maharaji? You know, related to that all encompassing acceptance, unconditional love, no judgment, and how you talk about he obviously just saw us as souls and not the personalities that we were like in fear of knowing that he knew everything. <laughs> Can you talk about that? That all encompassing presence.
2: Sharon talked about her presence in intrinsic turns her disciples on. Maharaji. Very word very, very small words. Ramdas Love everybody. <laughs> it's all. Now, when I came back from India um, after about 60s, 60s, and I knew that I had this, I knew that I had in my heart, my mind, this being, this being, and I tried to convey all my lectures and all that stuff. And because I wanted people to know that that potentially we have we have that. I wanted to know that I wanted to know the bring back, bring back, the essence of him. I had a robe and beard and everything. Every, my father came to the airplane. Get into the car before somebody sees you. Uh, <laughs> and that because Maharaji chose this cloud, and Maharaji chose my name, I conveyed that Maharaji is a special being, but each of us is special. We have in heart and we have the Atman, the God, Guru, and Self. We still don't realize it. we don't realize it. I was pushing Maharaji and the culture because here we have Lincoln and and Einstein and a few pieces of these are our, our symbols of the, what we can, what we should be. Rather than Maharaji. And I, I came with a, like a jewel, and I shared the jewel. and we each got a little bit of it that Maharaja exists. And I went to Maharaja and pulled along by by one does. And he rushed up to Maharaji and I protected the car. And I was self-righteous, Buddhism, Buddhist. I got to the clearing, and he's answering questions. And I stayed back. I didn't, the, the whole thing looked like a cult. <laughs> Maharaji, and while I'm with him, and there was a like tsunami with in Bangladesh and a lot of trouble. And I very you know, I, I had me I had I had a Volkswagen bus and I thought I couldn't, they could use it as an ambulance. And I told Maharaji this plan. And... And I saw what, looking at her from the one's perception, he said that when all these people die, he said, this is perfect. Perfect meant they as uh, souls went on their their trip uh, um, in the universe, and I said that one woman came up to me last last uh, week. She was crying, and she said. Uh, the political mess, and uh, she. I said, it's perfect. Maharaji said it was perfect. I didn't say it. What wonderful uh, things are happening for us to know our mind and our heart. That's what you need to know. And so many people love me. It's from Maharaji. So many people open up in their hearts Maharaji, and I go through the the ego stuff. Oh, they they they're honoring me. Yes. That's what I I tell tell you. Uh, That's the the work. The work you get in your mind a thought, and it's that thought is not going to get you there. In spirit, so you go down to the to those the heart the heart is stepping stepping stone to the to the soul goes down and then you pierce the veil this reality and another reality which we, I call soul land. Oh, come on. And that that and that's your individual soul. It's a light being, and in that soul there is a a watcher, they watch your incarnation and your mind. Then from that vantage point, I look at that. Look at that thought
0: Wow. sirens (laughs)
2: and blowing up. (laughs) And what happens is because the witness is in the soul. You look at that thought And you love it. You love your gods. I like the, I used to. Hey, yeah, I love it to death. The reason it's loved is you—you are protecting your soul. Love, compassion, peace, nurture, protecting the soul. Protecting the soul. Every time you have a negative. Love
1: it. <laughs> well, that's a good segue to Real Love, Sharon's book, and there's some things in it that I wanted to share and then have you expound upon. Um, I see real love as the most fundamental of our innate capacities, never destroyed no matter what he might have gone through or might yet go through. It may be buried, obscured from view, hard to find, and hard to trust, but it is there. I'd like you to talk about that trust. It, it really relates with Ram Dass talking about the protecting of the soul through the action of love.
3: Hmm, yeah, that, was, that was fantastic. I, I tend to think I realized of the, were I to use the word soul, um, of the soul protecting us, not we making the effort to protect the soul through. It was interesting, just flipping that. Um, it's,
2: it's the soul protecting itself.
3: Yeah, thank you. I'll ponder that. He's teasing me. I I don't know if you caught the sardonic moments, (laughs) because I really uh, have practiced in the Buddhist tradition where you don't use a term like soul, and uh, so this has been a dialogue for about (laughs) forty-five years—literally forty-five years. Uh, this past January, we celebrated that anniversary of knowing each other, so that's the conversation. <laughs> so he's teasing me when he, he says soul, and then he looks at me, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> oh, are you doing okay with that word? <laughs> that's what's going on. And Raghu's right in the middle. <laughs> um, well, I think. Um, maybe the closest in the Buddhist tradition is this sense of capacity. Um, I used the word ability last night because that's what was in the movie and because it also plays well with the end of my book, um, the new end of the book, but it's like a capacity, it's a potential. So uh, it, it really is believed that no matter what we may go through as a human being, as a personal history, no matter what we may have done, as a human being, or may yet do that, as a capacity, this is never destroyed. And so that in a way is why we practice. We have practices because it returns us to being in alignment with that potential or that capacity, and it also helps bring it to life and nourishes it and makes it real in in all these different circumstances, not just a, a thought or or something abstract that we that we respect in an abstract way, but something that we're we're really nourishing and living through, and so that is really the nature of of practice. Um, in uh, Pali, the language of the original Buddhist text, the word that we translate as meditation is bhavana, b h a v a n i, and it literally means cultivation. So. It's a sense of cultivating the ground or creating the conditions so that what we yearn for can emerge. Wisdom, understanding, love, compassion, connection, all of that can emerge because we've created the conditions. That's a little different than our normal, maybe more sort of acquisitive or grabby sense of um, something we pursue. Like if I get a big insight by Saturday, I can go to the beach, you know, or whatever. But, um, you know, it's different. We're, cu- we're creating the conditions. We're cultivating the ground. and That implies a kind of patience, even, because you can't demand or insist that something bear fruit on our timetable, right? We're just doing what we need to do. So in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, some Tibetan Buddhist traditions, um, there's a really cute phrase that they use instead of cultivation, uh, when we say meditation, they, they use this phrase, uh, getting used to it, or getting familiarized with it. So getting used to it. And that, of course, brings up the question, well, what's it? So that's really based on a belief that um, as human beings with a human life, we have had these moments, all of us, pretty well, of profound connection and illumination and understanding and so on. And Lots of things can bring us there. Great suffering can bring us there when everything else falls away or, uh, you know, art, all kinds of things can bring us there. But those moments in our lives tend to be very fleeting. It's not a place we live, right? We're not awfully used to it. And so we practice meditation not to, it's not an idea like you're starting from nothing, you know, and you're trying to get something. You've had these experiences. We have had these experiences. But it's so rare to find a being who lives there, right? And so what we're working with is a greater, almost like a greater continuity or frequency of returning um, to these places we have known. And so that, too, has a very different feeling tone than our normal, you know, like, uh, I mean, I was there. I remember when I first started practicing, I had this feeling like, you know, maybe someday I'll have a moment of mindfulness, you know, like like some faraway day. Uh, but it's not like that.
1: You go on to say, I, belie- I believe there is only one kind of love. So this is where we want to get real defined, real love, real love, trying to come alive in us despite our limiting assumptions, the distortions of our culture. There's a lot of those going on right now. And the habits of fear, self-condemnation, nation, and isolation we tend to acquire just by living a life. All of us have the capacity to experience real love. When we see love from this expanded perspective, we can find it in the smallest moments of connection, which is what you were just talking about, with a clerk in a grocery store, a child, a pet, a walk in the woods. We can find it within ourselves. Real love comes with a powerful recognition that we are fully alive and whole despite our wounds or our fears or our loneliness. It is a state where we allow ourselves to be seen clearly by ourselves and by others and in turn we offer clear seeing to the world around us. us. It is a love that heals. So in in this uh, theme that we that put together, Finding the Beloved, Touching, Compassionate Heart. We, we talked also about how these wounds and fears can provide a real <coughs> ground for finding, and I think this uh, Jack uh, put it in these words, finding our greatest gifts. So can you ex- expand on that? Because that is totally relevant to what we are all going through collectively at this moment. How do we make
3: that... Jump. Well, first, Ramdas, would you call that a definition of coming from a soul place? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
3: That's like the good housekeeping seal of approval. Like, wow. Wow. Um, <coughs> well, you know, it's easy like exploring a topic like that to get very dualistic like oh that's stupid you know and this is pure and um, but I I really didn't see it that way you know I do think every kind of yearning and and some some schools of you know uh, even some schools of Buddhism mostly you know in schools of Hinduism they would say it's not the yearning that's the problem it's that we want so little or we settle for so little and our sense of what's possible is so meager and, you know, and so we compromise so much, but it's like take that yearning and run with it, you know, and and expand your vision of what you are worth and what you're capable of feeling. And so it's something like that, you know, all those sputtering efforts we make to feel okay and feel a sense of belonging and feel a sense of home. It's like if you take that feeling but really look at, the myths we're given and what we're taught, and the distortions that we uh, we take on. Like I've often said, as an example, um, I think in this country, and this is you know even before the election, um, you know we we have a kind of predominant culture that teaches us that you will feel better about yourself. By disparaging others, so the more you can put other people down, and feel you're better, uh, then you'll be happy. But if we actually look at that state, it's a tremendously lonely state, and it's a you know it's a kind of brutal state because you're always comparing. There's always someone new to compare yourself to, and and you don't get the joy of just connecting or helping somebody or letting them help you. I mean, it's just like um, you know, it's actually not that doesn't make for that much happiness when we really look but we believe it we're taught that and entertainment is built on that and uh, so many things are are built on that and um, you know so one also one of the gifts I feel like meditation practice has given me is the ability to kind of step back from a whole wealth of conditioning like that and say really you know uh, is compassion really that weak and sort of uh, meek and mild and is uh, vengefulness really that strong and uh you know what about this and what about that and so um to be able to look at those states and then know for ourselves where where our greatest happiness lies I think is is a tremendous thing and um certainly when we have models you know we have that uh loving figure and uh you feel you are revealed in front of them or you reveal yourself in front of them and they're still loving, Uh, that's a model, you know, of how we ourselves can be, but we ourselves can be that.
1: Yeah, Uh which is why I think it's it's really significant in terms of being fortunate to be with a, a human being that, is that living that potential? And um, so I, yeah. I just wanted to. It's. And when I
2: was with Maharaji, he blew my mind that that didn't matter. And, then he loved me, and he loved me. unconditionally he was then he was sitting he was sitting uh, on his tucket and I was sitting in the grass in front of him and when I started to see he reads my mind that's he had been he had done that. Oh God, uh, 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 he's gonna re- Oh God, okay. <laughs> uh, oh oh, I was going like, about a list of, about things you can't love me at all, and there he is. His, his the mind reader is is here, and so I looked up, and he he loved me, he loved me, he loved me fully. My, my good points and bad points and things that I'm not lovable for, he, he, yeah, love. So, when I come to the West, he transferred his heart to my heart but to spirit, to spirit. And then I can meet many people. And everybody starts with them. That's like the uh, social action. You come from the heart. And you I love you all.
1: You know, Ramdas? Uh, you just said when he trans Maharaji transferred his heart to your heart, and then you of course returned and you shared that. And that's what you've talked a lot about before. It goes from heart to heart to, to heart. heart. That's so it. right. And Sharon, when she talked about trust as a, as an important element. So, I mean, in my own experience, when I first met you at Mon- in Montreal by the radio station, and you opened the door and let me in the house that you were staying in, I had never met you before. I had heard one talk that they sent to me, and you acted as if I was the only person that was existing on the planet and you paid me 100 billion percent attention, which nobody had done that before, right? And that engendered, that was the transfer in that moment. Now, of course, I realized that when I finally met Maharaji. But that was a moment of tremendous trust. And that's... What I think uh, is a super important part of this process, it's happening here. Everybody is coming into this wonderful essencey heart space and there's a trust that's being passed, a, a sharing of the heart that's being passed on uh, that really manifests what you're saying. That's how, and you're talking about social action, that's how true social action happens. Is the passing of that trusted heart space, right? Yep. Yep.
2: I want to convey to you, Maharaji, so that you can you can get Maharaji. As, as your own. I'm I'm a perception without, he, he he's in there, he's in here and well, he's a he's a A fisherman, and I'm the Lord, (laughs) (laughs) and you're the fish. in india a group of us went a uh, the bus the uh, the uh, we were, we were um, the meditation course <laughs>
3: This is the other thing I get teased about. Some of us did not get on the bus.
0: <laughs>
3: I wondered when it was going to come up.
2: <laughs> so about 60 people of, of the meditation, setting, 60 people and the, there was 22 of us. Uh, on the bus when I called, I wanted to find my guru because he said he he'd be there for me. In, in I have, and I said, I said, I can't meditate you all. I keep thinking, where is he? So I talked to the girl next to me. She said she had a friend who has a bus that goes beyond England to, to uh, India. You don't ask what, what it's, what's, it, what's in the floorboards. And she said he, he, he'd like to go to Maharaja. So 20 22 of us and the bus driver. And we were planning to go to Delhi, which where we could get ice cream and... All kinds of good, good, good beds. Oh boy! Oh boy! So that that was a straight, straight road, Delhi, and. Danny, Danny Goldman came up from the back and he said, to "I see I was the trip director. So Danny said, you know, we can go the, the, the right, the, the fork on the road, and take, take the right and you'll go through a uh, uh, special place and he mentioned the name i said well that's the that's the place where the Kumbumela, where, where where the all the holy people gather
0: it's a
2: confluence of two or three uh, rivers. And so, it, 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 a thousand people. thousand. No. Huh? Millions millions <laughs> million It's it's wild, that's wild. It's wild. So I said when, we came out of the Comamela last two weeks ago. We don't know." We don't want to go and see an empty field. But I mean, if there's no people that... He said, it's a spiritual opportunity. This So he went back to the bus, and back the back, and the, the we of Nod Smarand, we were ice cream, um, a holy place, ice cream, holy place, ice cream, holy place. <laughs> And we were, I was uh, twenty two people. We were, we uh, Westerners, on a spiritual journey, so we got to go uh, right. The bus driver said, You are. Uh, turn right and turn, uh, I mean, which south, which way? Uh, uh, here I am, worrying, fearful, uh, going into empty field. Oh Jesus, go right the the town. And then we come to an empty field and the two rivers are confluences. We start, Danny says "Uh, there's a Hanuman Temple over there. And so we decide to drive towards the Hanuman Temple. And we drive and Ramesh Madas says That's Maharaji. And he and Dada, which is Dada is a uh, uh, friend of his uh, devotee. We touch his feet and stuff. He says, follow us. He said to Dada, they've come. The first trip to India, he said, don't tell anybody about me. And I come in with a busload of people.
1: Punchline. What the punchline, which is that Dada woke up everybody in the house. I mean, uh, Maharaji woke up everyone in the house in the morning and said, "Prepare lunch for 23 people, or however many they were—the exact amount of people that were on that bus, including the driver." And Ramdas thought he was making a decision about going to Delhi or going to the Sangam, where <coughs> the rivers meet. And apparently, that wasn't quite the case, is the...
2: Oh, right, left, uh and all the time, he, 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 he expected us. Lunch for 20, 20, 22.
1: And the driver. And the
2: driver. So when you get into, oh, uh, uh, you just call upon
1: Maharaj. The trust in the beloved, shall we say?
2: Yes. <laughs> it, it could be taken as. I can't find the word. Thanks. Huh? Thanks. Hey, oh, that's Thanks. right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by the Be Here Now Network. Join us this summer for the Real Love Challenge. To get your copy of Real Love, visit SharonSalsberg.com. May all beings be happy.